Hi, folks, and welcome or welcome back if you're regular listeners to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. Apologies for the slight delay in publishing this week. I've had the distinct displeasure of turning on my PC a few mornings ago, only to find a message informing me that it will need to restore itself, of course, deleting everything on it in the process. So I've been spending a delightful last few days reinstalling software and restoring backups, fun times, but now I'm happily back in the saddle and happy to be back with you as well to talk shop, dissect investments, and all other things related to the world's second biggest property market, Japan. Now, as you may recall, we've also had a seminar in Fukuoka City last week. Unfortunately, um, as my PC incident clearly demonstrates, my two or so decades um, as an IT professional, before I became a property professional, have not really contributed much to my hardware skills, which is not news, by the way. It was actually a well-known fact that my uh, skills lie far more in the um, software or people spheres, shall we say. Um, but how shall we put it? Not the world's most proficient hardware engineer. Long story short, I set up the camera, and because the location and setup was so simple and convenient there at Off-Broadway, I didn't bother to ask the cameraman, who was present, to sit behind the camera and attend it while recording. Little did I know that it actually stops recording after exactly 20 minutes, at which point the recording then needs to be restarted. So regrettably, only the first 20 minutes of the hour and a half long seminar or so were recorded. I might release it for you down the track as there was some good stuff on there, especially about the differences in criteria between uh, purchasing to live versus purchasing for investment purposes. But the rest of it is unfortunately gone. My apologies. Um, when we were spreading the good word about the seminar, though, and because Fukuoka is a wonderful city, but a little bit far from Tokyo and Osaka, where many of our Japan-based listeners live, and of course, even further out for listeners outside Japan. So we received a lot of requests for a webinar. So something that anyone would be able to attend from their home or office and would also enable live discussion, participation, Q&A, etc., uh, as opposed to these one-way sort of podcast recordings. And that does sound like a great idea. So watch this space. We'll announce the date and the time early next year, probably. And we hope to have as many of you with us then. If you do register your interest, make it via comment, email, etc. Let us know which time zone you're in and what time of the day or night works best for you. And we'll aim to please as many as possible. Um, but of course, we'll also be recording um, successfully this time, I would hope and then distributing this content, so you will be able to watch and listen to it offline too, uh, just in case you couldn't attend on the day. Okay, so after this um, long-winded introduction, let's dive right into today's topic, which again is sublease properties. So we've discussed these types of arrangements in our last episode, and just to recap, what these essentially mean is that the landlord leases their property or properties out to short-term stay operators, who then in turn lease them out by the day or week or month, and the main advantages here are having the reliability and stability of long-term corporate leases, which can also have uh, longer periods in comparison with individual residential agreements, and in which the renter, in this case the subleasing company, also takes on more responsibility for all internal wear and tear during the tenancy, and in many cases also provides a rental income that's slightly higher at least than your standard long-term lease, either because they do pay a slightly higher rent than average or because they also take on uh, the payment of monthly building management fees or both. And lastly, this kind of arrangement also testifies to the attractiveness of the property for short-term stays, which makes it less of a gamble for the landlord if and when they choose to try short-term leasing uh, on their own at any point in the future, 
which is re when rental profits can really start to soar. So for today's episode, we're going to look at two of these uh, deal samples, one in Tokyo, one in Fukuoka City. Both are actual property deals that we've facilitated in the past on behalf of our clients. One of these clients is from Canada, the other is from Austria. And the deals are different in many aspects, so it'll give us a chance to look at a few possible sublease scenarios there. Okay, so the first one in Fukuoka City is located in the heart of Tenjin. So that's Fukuoka's main nightlife uh, shopping dining district. So superb central location, which is always an important factor for maximizing occupancy, and even more so with short-term stay scenarios. This one's about a 17 square meter studio unit built 1991, so up to the latest earthquake resistance standards um, for these reinforced concrete blocks. Very impressive looking, big glass doors, secure keypad entry, plenty of parking for bikes, etc., and nice gardening all around. Now, these are all factors that may be less crucial when looking for long-term tenants, but they do become a bit more consequential for short-term stays of any sorts because people look at these places, um, in this case online, before they book them for the week or the month, and they obviously want to stay in a better-looking apartment if they've got the option and they're just here for a holiday or a short visit. Uh, this one also has a laundromat on the ground floor. And the rest of the building's due diligence was also quite good. As far as renovation history, reserve funds pool go. We're not going to go into detail here because our main concern here um, is the uh, aspect of the sublease arrangement. But of course, as property owners, this type of due diligence is equally important for any kind of deal. Because when a large renovation is required, we want to make sure there are sufficient funds in the pool. Otherwise, building fees go up or profits go down. Same as with any other uh, co-owned building scenario. Nothing different there. So the tenant in this case, or the subleasing company, is Appaman, which is a major nationwide player in Japan. So we're more than reasonably comfortable with rent income coming in on a regular basis. While the lease is in effect, the company is not likely to go out of business and leave us with um, uh, renovations or chasing up debt or anything of that sort. And they're paying the average rent for units of this size and location, which is about 30,000 yen per month. Uh, but they're also paying the building management fee while they're in possession of the unit. So that gives us an additional 5,000 yen per month. So again, slightly higher income than average. And of course, most importantly, they're also paying for all interior wear and tear, aside from major items. So not electricity or plumbing, etc., but everything else while they're in possession of the unit. Their lease is in place for three years, uh, rolls out automatically. But our buyer, who is interested in maximizing rental income is already planning not to renew that lease when it expires in about a year and a half's time uh, because they do plan to take on short-term monthly leasing on their own. And the fact that Appaman is doing it there gives them the confidence that they'll be successful as well. Uh, the price for this property was 3.5 million yen, so just over 30,000 US. And it's currently on the existing sublease agreement generating about 6% net pre-tax which is already for a property this central and at this age is more than good enough. Once it's leased on a short, on a direct short-term basis, it's very likely to be generating closer to 9 or 10% net pre-tax for the owner. So the second property, a little bit of a different scenario. This one is in Tokyo, located in the city's most eastern ward, which is Edogawa. Actually a hotel. So in this case, the building management company is also the tenant. The fact that it's a hotel doesn't mean that you're not getting a portion of the land with it. So totally normal freehold land portion attached to this unit as well. Um, but the management company, which is in reality a hotel operator, are leasing out rooms by the day for guests who use the property on a short-term basis. So like any normal hotel. Uh, 
normally for a few days at most, maybe a week. And this means that in this case, interior maintenance and cleaning is done on a daily or almost daily basis, which further ramps up the level of cover provided by the subleasing company. So you really don't need to work uh, to worry about the interior at all. And that will also include nicer furniture, etc. But on the other hand, this also adds a level of complexity to the situation because in this case, there is no option for the landlord to terminate the lease at any point. So even if at any point in the future, the hotel operator decides to reduce the rent amount that they're paying when they renew the lease um, to owners of individual rooms, either because they have to maintain profitability by reducing the price per room per night, or just because they've gotten greedy or decided to increase the profitability on the backs of individual unit owners, the building rulebook stipulates that owners have no say in the matter. The units cannot be used for any other purpose uh, or leased to anybody else except that operator. So this, of course, poses a higher level of uh, profit risk in theory, but the price of the property, which is particularly low, uh, probably because of this, only 4.4 million yen, so slightly over 42,000 US dollar, which is unbelievable for a Tokyo property. And the rent amount that they currently pay owners, just under 38,000 yen, makes for an annual yield of over 5% net pre-tax, which is also practically unheard of in Tokyo. And that more than compensates us for this fact. And also, if you'll recall from previous episodes, Japanese buyers tend to settle for far lower yields than foreign buyers, uh, which is a combination of the fact that they're usually not that aware or opportunities overseas are not as accessible for them as they are for us. And also the fact that they don't take to need, don't need to take um, foreign currency fluctuations into account, which most of us foreign buyers do. So that means that even if yield drops, because building fees have gone up or rent has gone down, there's still very likely to be a willing local buyer who will be more than happy to take the property off the owner's hands at any point in time. Not to mention the fact that if anywhere in Japan gains in value, Tokyo is it. Now, the building's renovation history in this case as well, quite robust, as you would expect from a hotel, which needs to attract guests and probably faces some serious competition in the area. It was built in 1988, so slightly older than the Fukuoka property, but still seven years uh, into the Reformed Building Standards Act. And in this case, the buyer, who was far more interested in a safe and stable property in Tokyo rather than any potential future income hacks and so forth, um, was more than happy to greenlight the deal. And as expected, there have been virtually no hiccups anywhere along the way. The hotel takes very good care of the place. Rental income comes in regularly and as reliable as clockwork, which is exactly what he was aiming for with this purchase. Also, as the 2020 Olympics approach, domestic international tourist numbers increase, demand for hotel rooms in Tokyo becomes higher and higher. So he's also very likely to be able to sell at a very handsome profit if and when he decides to liquidate uh, close to the Olympics. And, you know, then he can put his funds to work elsewhere on some other potential project with maybe higher yield, higher risk levels. In any case, he's very unlikely to run into tenancy or income issues at any point, nor is he likely to find it difficult to sell if he chooses to do so at any point in the foreseeable future. So there you have it. Again, cementing the basics of a sublease tenancy arrangement, good yields, extremely reliable and stable rental income, and very few surprises as far as interior renovations or repairs go which is really what sublease landlords are usually on the lookout for. It is possible as well to purchase well-located central properties uh, in all of Japan's major metropolitan centers. 
as long as the building is not too old and looks attractive enough. And then you can buy them vacant, which normally means the price is far more negotiable, and then find a subleasing company who would be interested in renting the place. You can actually check with them before you purchase if they'd be interested. And this strategy can guarantee an even higher yield because you're buying vacant, you're discounting the purchase price as much as possible, which is a lot more difficult to do when you're purchasing a property that already has a sublease tenant or any other tenant in place, already generating income, harder to discount. So that makes negotiating harder. If you're buying them central and attractive enough vacant, you can discount the price, which therefore will increase your yield as well. So that's probably it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks. There's bound to be someone among your friends who will find it interesting and could potentially benefit from this kind of info. And we'd love to, as always, read your comments. Would love it even more if you could leave us a review or at least a star rating on the iTunes store. Love hearing what you think, and this helps us reach even more people who can benefit from this content as well. Hope to have you with us next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you all a great day or night and happy home hunting.